0: We'll pray for VBS. Invite some young people to come out. We've got some kids in the neighborhood. I might even give them a ride. Uh, I know we got a great VBS plan for this year, and we pray God's going to do a great work in the, the lives of a good number of young people for Vacation Bible School this week. We just sang a song called "Ancient Words, Ever True." You know, there are some that would question that. Are those words true? Are they so old we can't know that they're true and we can't depend upon them today? As we uh, go through this summer dealing with questions that uh, you have presented, we got a question concerning whether the Bible is really uh, dependable, is it reliable, can you count it? It's an old book, it's been around for a long time. Uh, Can we really count on it as being factual? So really applicable to our lives today. Do you ever have somebody ask you a question, and your first response is, "I'm so glad you asked that." <laughs> well, that's kind of my response when somebody brought the question about the reliability of Scripture uh, for our consideration today. I'm so glad they asked that, and uh, there there are, we could take the whole summer talking about reasons for believing in the reliability of Scripture, and. Uh, I'm just bringing out ten reasons that we're going to consider. We don't have time to deal with all ten of them this morning. We're going to look at the first four reasons for believing that the Bible is a book that we can rely upon, we can base our lives upon, we can uh, trust our eternal destiny to believing the message that we have in the Scripture. I'm glad that question was asked because I, I think a lot of times people... People uh, have that question, and they they don't they don't ask it. One of the other questions that came up in connection with that were actually several people had asked about the reliability of Scripture. One of the other questions uh, indicated having some problems with uh, some issues with doubt. You know, they like to believe what the Bible says about creation. They like to believe what the Bible says about Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish. They like to believe what the Bible says about all sorts of things, but. Sometimes they struggle with that. And uh, I'll be honest with you. In my life, there have been times when I said, you know, can, can I really depend on, on, on this book? You know, is it really what it claims to be? Uh, does it really claim to be the Word of God? Can I, can I really accept that, go along with that? And, and I, I searched. I, I'm, I'm a, kind of a skeptic by nature. You know, I don't necessarily believe everything that people tell me. Uh, I, I need to check things out for myself, and I hit a point in my life where I needed to make sure that my, my parents' faith that I'd been taught for years wasn't just their faith that I was kind of coattailing on, but it was what I really believed, what, what was really part of my belief system, my worldview, what uh, I depended on, and so I've done some search into this issue, and, and, and uh, we share with you some of the things that we want to look at this morning. Uh, number one, the Bible claims to be revelation from God. It really does. The, the Bible is the most unique book that's ever been produced in human history. It is far and above, superior to any other. It is a supernatural book, and we see that throughout. Uh, the question comes up, well, the Bible w- was written thousands of years ago. How, how do we know that we even have anything close to what the original autographs, what the original writers put down on paper? Hasn't it been corrupted over thousands of years of time? If you've ever played that game, a telephone or rumor, you know, it's called different names, but you sit in a circle and you whisper something in somebody's ear, and, and by the time it gets around to, the, to the, the end of the circle, it doesn't sound anything like what you started with. Well, people ask that about the Bible. Okay, we, we, we believe the Bible was the Word of God. Do we have anything close to what the Bible started out as? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And the manuscript evidence for that is absolutely astounding. And we're going to touch on that a little bit this morning. And the the final fact that we want to look at this morning is the the, the fact that in the Bible we have predictive prophecy. Where God has told us, God knows the end from the beginning, and God has told people for for thousands of years some of the things that are going to happen in the future. And you and I have a great vantage point we can look back and see what God had had written in Scripture hundreds of years before the events came around, and, and we get to look at the prophecy, and we can also see the fulfillment of it. Well, what a great spot we're allowed to be in. We live in an exciting time in, in, in God's program. We get to look at the, the prophecy and the fulfillment. What a thrilling thing. Uh, first thing is the fact that, well, first of all, when it comes to the way we got the Bible, it didn't just drop out the sky. What we have in Scripture is we have revelation. The thoughts of God were, were revealed to men, and then God supernaturally directed men through the work of the Holy Spirit so that what was written down on paper, we can say, is inspired. Literally, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, it's God-breathed. That's the written product. It wasn't the men that were inspired. It was the actual written product that we can say was inspired by God. It was God-breathed. Through the years, the the, the documents that were written were accepted largely on the basis of who wrote them. The prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament are those very closely associated with them. That's the most important issue as far as what books really belong in the Bible and what books don't. We find that uh, studies have been made about whether these documents are reliable. Of course, you and I don't speak a lot of Hebrew and Greek, so we can be thankful for people who translate the Bible into to English we have English translations and then it's a matter of, of interpreting what the what the Word of God says and studying that and then the big thing is also applying scripture to our lives so that's kind of how how the Word of God came to us how the Bible came to us first issue to consider this morning is the fact that the Bible claims to be revelation from God uh, God revealed himself to Moses, Of course, we know how he revealed himself in the burning bush. Uh, but through the course of Moses' time and the nation of Israel, God revealed himself to Moses, spoke to him clearly, and he told Moses to write his words in the book. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 17. And in verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book. And recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. We find that sh- particular phraseology show up throughout uh, Exodus and, and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where God tells something to Moses, then he tells him to write it in the book. And we find record repeatedly of it, it says Moses wrote things in the book. Go over to chapter 24 in the book of exodus and we read starting in verse four it says and moses wrote all the words of the lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of israel then he sent young men of the children of israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the lord and moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood sprinkled it on the altar then he took the book of the covenant That's the Bible of Moses' day that God was using him to write. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. God did speak to Moses. God called Moses, write down many things in in the book, and, and Moses did it. And that's the way we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, oftentimes called the Pentateuch. Somebody said, what's the big deal about Moses? Can we really depend on him? Well, you read the record, and you see how God did work. through Moses. There were questions, people that questioned his leadership. His own sister did. And God struck her with leprosy, and only through Moses' intercession was she healed. Korah led a rebellion against Moses, and God ends up opening up the ground in a selective earthquake and swallows him up. God indicated numerous times that his hand was upon Moses. That Moses was his prophet. Moses was his leader. We can count on what God revealed to Moses. How do we know the Bible that the world was created in six days? Because God revealed that to Moses. And had Moses write it down in the book. Moses' leadership, Moses' ministry was authenticated many, many times. God gave Moses the ability to, to pronounce to Pharaoh the plagues that were going to happen turning the Nile River to blood, bringing darkness, the death of the firstborn, all that series of ten plagues. And God uses Moses as the spokesman telling Pharaoh these things are going to happen. That's the kind of man we're looking at. Why would people accept his writing? Well, because he was the man that he was, clearly indicated as being God's prophet, God's leader. We can count on what God revealed through Moses. We also find the claims of many of the other Old Testament authors And prophets, uh, repeatedly you read in the writing, Thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came and said. In fact, over 2,600 times Old Testament writers claim to be speaking from God. One of the first evidences, why should we accept the Bible as revelation from God? Well, it claims to be revelation from God. If it didn't claim to be revelation from God then maybe that would be a good reason not to accept it and put it up on that level. If you go to the first verses of, of all 12 of the minor prophets and some of the other prophets, you'll find it says, Thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to Hosea. The word of the Lord came to Joel. Repeatedly, we read about God revealing himself to these prophets. Old Testament authors frequently recognize the divine origin of the message of other Old Testament writers. Just one example I'd give to you, if you go over to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, you read of uh, Daniel speaking with the Lord, praying, and we find that, that Daniel has a concern. His people are in captivity in Babylon, and Daniel goes to the Lord in prayer, and he's interested in having his people release Babylon, and uh, in, in verse 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, at the, the reign of Darius, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of, of Jerusalem. Basically, Daniel knew that the Babylonian captivity was going to last 70 years. How did he know that? He knew it because God had revealed that to Jeremiah the prophet. And you can read that in Jeremiah 25.11 if you want to. But we find Daniel believed that God had revealed himself to Jeremiah. And that Jeremiah really was a prophet of God. We see other examples of that in the Old Testament. That's just one that I would throw out to you there. We find that the the New Testament uh, also... Authenticates what we have in Scripture. But we, we see that that Jesus authenticates what we have in the Old Testament scriptures. And Christ also sets the sets up the apostles, prepares them for their involvement in producing our New Testament. Uh, the New Testament uh, claims the origin, of the divine origin of the New Testament in Hebrews chapter one it says God has spoken in various times by in different ways by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken through his son in second Timothy 3:16 it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God it's God and it is profitable for doctrine for for correction for instruction and in righteousness that the word of man, the the, word, the man of God could be thoroughly equipped for every good work we have we have passages like that 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 put a stamp of approval on the Old Testament as being from God, divine revelation. We find the Old Testament quoted as true over 300 times in the New Testament. We have it alluded to as true over a 1,000 times. And I would simply point out that at no time does any New Testament writer ever give a hint of doubting the divine origin or authority of the old testament what jesus had to say when he was on here well first of all he quoted the old testament continually Uh, it is written it is written have you not read how many times did jesus quote the old Testament? repeatedly Uh, well we find that he assumed that the old testament was of god and to be obeyed as being true and authoritative he also assumed the Old Testament prophecy is going to be fulfilled in his ministry and throughout throughout time Jesus believed that the Old Testament miracles really happened Jesus spoke about creation Jesus believed in a supernatural creation just as was written in the book of Genesis he believed that God started with one man and one woman when he's asked about marriage, that's where he that that's what he alluded to. That's what he's talking about. He, he believed in, that he talks about Jonah. He believed that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and spit out three days later. He he believed that Sodom was destroyed by fire and brimstone. You you look at what Jesus had to say about the Old Testament, he believed he believed the miraculous that was there. And he accepted the whole Old Testament. And rebuke those who didn't. In Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he meets a couple of apostles, uh, disciples on the Emmaus Road. And he's talking with them. Uh, and one of the things he rebukes them for is he says, Oh, how foolish and slow of heart you are not to believe all that the prophets have written. Christ said, the old, the, uh, We're talking about the Old Testament, the scriptures can't be broken. He said, Not one word, not one jot, not one tittle will pass away until it's all fulfilled. That's what Jesus had to say about the Old Testament and his Old Testament is the same as the, old, the Hebrew Old Testament that we have today. And it was divided up his was divided up into 22 books. The 12 minor prophets were jammed together and some of the the poetic writings as well but, but that, that Old Testament Jesus was putting his sanction, his stamp of authority upon. Is the same Old Testament that we have today. We find also even Jesus' silence speaks in John fourteen when he's talking about in my Father's house are, are many mansions, many dwelling places. He, he said that if it was not so, what did he say? It wasn't so? I told you. No, you can pretty much apply that to the whole Old Testament. If the Old Red Sea wasn't true Jesus would have told us if the uh, death of the firstborn as the tenth plague wasn't true Jesus would have told us if Jonah hadn't been swallowed by a fish Jesus would have told us he he corrected all kind of false beliefs that people had while he was on this earth not one place that he correct the Old Testament he corrected the false beliefs that people have but not one correction of the Old Testament Scriptures. We find he also promised there was going to be some more revelation given. Go over to the Gospel of John. And we see in chapter 14, and chapter 16, he indicates to the apostles that uh, there was going to be some more truth that was going to be given to them. By the way, these apostles he called to be his representatives after he was going to leave this world he says in verse 26 of chapter 14 gospel of John but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things he'll bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you that's the gospel that's the gospel he'll bring he's gonna bring to your remembrance and three of the Gospels were written by Matthew and by mark who wrote for peter and by john apostles and luke who ends up being closely associated with the apostle paul so he'll, he'll he'll he says i'll give you all things all all the things that we need all the truth that we need to serve him and to follow him i'm going to bring that to your remembrance if you go over to chapter 16 chapter 16 verses 12 to 15 notice what Jesus said he said, I still have many things to say to you. You cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you he's going to take the things about me he's going to explain it to you what do we read in the new testament epistles we read the explanations of the significance of the cross how jesus bore our own sins in his body on the tree we read of how god took no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of god in him we get that those explanations of jesus ministry in the additional revelation of the epistles he also says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to show you things to come, things in the future. What's he talking about here? We well, go read the book of Revelation, what's that all about? Things to come. You read much of First and 2 Thessalonians. What's that about? Things to come. You read the, the, the last part of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when we're told that we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And and we read things to come. Christ was saying there's going to be more revelation to come, and he was going to give it. The Holy Spirit was going to give it, and it was going to come through the apostles. We find great things going on there. We also find that Jesus prayed for those who would believe through the apostles' word. In fact, I would submit to you today that if you're a Christian, you became a Christian through the ministry of the apostles. That we have written here in the new testament anybody here have john three sixteen? have anything to do with your salvation aren't you glad that was written down aren't you glad we're told that god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever including you and me will believe in him we wouldn't perish we'd have everlasting life where'd that come from the holy spirit through john written down and we get to read it here in the 21st century you know what it's still true and it's still applicable and it's still saving truth that we have we find the second thing that comes into play here is the literary consistency that we have in the bible the fact is that god gave us the bible in the form of 66 books using 40 different authors some were shepherds some were fishermen some were kings Some were in government service. uh, All kinds of people over this 1,500 years time. And you look at the product, and what do you find? You find a, a consistency that is unbelievable. It's one big true story. God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ running from Genesis clear through to the book of Revelation. Somebody said you can cut the Bible at any point and it bleeds. That there's a red line that goes all through Scripture and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a that unifying theme all throughout the Word of God, and the fact of the matter is the Bible nowhere contradicts itself, but rather it complements itself, it confirms itself. We find themes that are introduced in Genesis. We find being taken care of when we get over to the book of Revelation. We have the curse and the fall in Genesis, and we find that it is taken care of when we get over to the book of Revelation as the curse is lifted, once again, through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the Bible is an amazing, amazing book. There is none like it. Did you know that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time? Did you know that the Bible is the best-selling book of the year? Every year, every, there's no book like it. And, and it's a book that's changed the lives of people. And, and as you look at the literary consistency, people used to even study the Bible just for the beautiful literature that was there. One of the things that's amazing is the way that, that it, it's so non-contradictory, so complementary, And we can believe it. It doesn't contradict itself. And it's the thing when you look at that. People try to find supposed contradictions in scripture but it's amazing how you look at them and generally you find well, well always you get enough information and you find out it's not the bible that's at fault but it's the person that's raising the contradiction if you look back in some of the uh, old encyclopedias you'll find something mention of a, a group of people called the hittites and it'll say in that encyclopedia britannica that the Hittites are a mythical group of people mentioned in the Bible. Because they didn't have any evidence of the Hittites. You know what they found a few years after the Encyclopedia Britannica was put out? They found a whole, archaeology found a whole trove of information archaeologically that pointed to the reality of the Hittite people. We could go through other examples. We're going to do that this morning. But the literary consistency, without, without contradicting itself, without error. Being given to us. It's an amazing, amazing book. Uh, from Genesis to the book of Revelation. The question comes up uh, the Bible is such an old book and it was written the book of Genesis God began revealing to Moses 1450 BC. That's going on 4000 years ago. The most recent part of the Bible we have was written by the holy spirit of god through the apostle john in the gospel of john first second third john and the book of revelation and those were all right around 90 to 100 a.d so you're going back a couple thousand years and people say well man that that's when those things were originally written how do you know that we have anything even close to what was originally written down on paper now, the fact of the matter is we do not have any of the original autographs of any book of the Bible. By autograph, we mean what, what was written down by themselves. You know, if you go and you want McGraw Cabrera's autograph, you don't want me to sign his name. That would be worthless. But if you could get him to sign a baseball for you, that would be good. By the way, this isn't to do with the sermon, but I'd just like to let you know, my grandson got to throw out the ball, the first pitch at the Tiger baseball game yesterday. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And they gave him, they gave him a baseball. Do I sound like a proud grandfather here? <laughs> they gave him a baseball with Kyle Ryan's address on it. So my son's hoping that Kyle Ryan will become another Nolan Ryan and become real famous, real professional and things like that. But, but an autograph only means something if the person, you know, actually wrote it. We don't have anything Moses actually wrote down on on papyrus or vellum or any other surface. We don't have anything that John actually wrote down. Do we have accurate copies? Well, we, we find that we can be sure that we do have trustworthy copies of those originals in the case of the Old Testament. When it comes to the Old Testament, the Jewish copyists were fanatics. I mean, they had such a quality control system in place that, that it, it guaranteed that what they got written down was... Act, these guys were like human Xerox machines as far as getting it down accurately. If they found any errors in what they, they had written down and they had many ways to check that, all their work was destroyed. Anything that was thought to be any type of a problem copy at all of the Ulta was absolutely destroyed. So they were fanatics. And... For, for a time, the latest, the oldest copies of the Old Testament we had were from around 900 A.D. But back in 1947, there was a young shepherd boy that threw a rock into a cave over in the Qumran area of, of Israel. And he, he heard it hit something and shattered. And he went in there, and they found a, a bunch of, of jars and containers. And in these containers, they found what they call the dead Sea. And in, in those Dead Sea Scrolls, they found copies of at least part of every book in the Old Testament except the book of Esther. And those copies they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls dated back to 150, 200 B.C. They took those Dead Sea Scrolls dating from 300 years, 200, 300 years before Christ, and they compared them with the Masoretic text they had from 900 A.D., and you know what they found? Tremendous symmetry. Virtual identity. Uh, some differences in spelling, things like that, but the Dead Sea Scrolls put up a huge stamp of authenticity upon the Hebrew text that we have from 900 A.D. When it comes to the New Testament, we find that we have over 200, over 20,000 known manuscripts of at least part of the New Testament that had been discovered. Now, when I first started studying this, when I first started teaching this 40 years ago, that was 5,000. We would cite the fact that we had over 5,000 copies of at least parts of the New Testament. You see what's happened in the last 40 years? Now that number's grown to over 20,000 copies. One figure I read said 24,000 copies of parts, and in some cases, whole the whole New Testament collected together in some of these writings. And, and, and you can compare them. You can compare them with each other. We can, by doing the comparisons, we can know In over 99.5% of the cases, we can know exactly what was on the original document that was written. Some of these copies that we have date back to even the first and the second century. used to be the earliest one we had from about 150 A.D. And that was a copy of the Gospel of John, which was written around 100 A.D. So this is something... Uh, a copy within 50 years of when it was originally written. Just a couple years ago, exciting, exciting discovery. They discovered a portion of the Gospel of Mark that they're dating from the latter part of the first century A.D. The Gospel of Mark, probably written around 40, 50, 60 A.D. And we would have something then within 20 to 30 years of when it was was originally written. Amazing thing, there's a reliability test they, they, they use to try to determine if, a, if an ancient document is reliable. Can, can you really depend on it? It's how many copies are available. How close are they to the time when they were originally written? Uh, where were the copies found? Are they all from one place, or, or are they from different places? You know, you might have collusion involved if they're all from one place. But if you're finding the same thing at different places around the area, then that helps to solidify and then what about variances we find comparing the new testament with other ancient literature here's some of the figures now i'm just going to mention caesar's caesar back when i was in high school i had I took a couple of years of latin and one of the things we had to do is translate some of caesar's gallic wars and caesar's gallic wars were presented as being absolute truth you know this this tells about Caesar going into the area of what's now is France, and, and we had to translate that. And uh, we find he wrote that from around 100 to 44 B.C. Earliest copy we have is about 1,000 years later, 900 years later. And, and uh, we find that they, they have 10, 10 copies of it. In fact, when I was doing the translating, you would come to places where there's whole chunks where there was nothing there. You know there was nothing there? Because they'd lost the text. They didn't have any idea what it said in that area. I wish the whole thing would have been that, because I wouldn't have had to do as much translating that. But by that Caesar's Gallic Wars, thousand years away, ten copies, huge gaps in it. Just drop down to the bottom there. Look at the New Testament, written from around 40 to 100 A.D earliest copy maybe 125 so you and that now is back to maybe 90 80 90 A.D. so the earliest copy is 25 to 50 years away from when the original was produced and how many copies do we have 24,000 that you can compare with each other how many blank areas where we don't have any idea what the text says in round numbers zero None. You know what? The critics want to accept these secular writings as absolute truth. But they want to question what we have in the New Testament as eyewitness testimony and say, oh, well, how, we, we don't even know. We, we can't know what the, the New Testament had to say originally. It even, can't, can't even be close. Baloney. Well, when you subject the New Testament to those reliability tests, It passes with flying colors. It's shown to be a supernatural book. We find that what we see is not a spiritual problem when people question the veracity of our New Testament, the reliability of the Scriptures. It's a spiritual problem. It's not an evidence problem. Lastly, we find the predictive prophecy contained in the Bible proves that is an undeniably supernatural book, and for me, man, this is this nails it right here. The God who knows the end from the beginning has seen fit to draw back the the, the curtain on the future and, and to give it to His prophets and have them write it down in in, in written form, so that, that we can have it today. We have prophecies concerning the prophecies concerning the nation prophecies concerning israel the messiah it was prophesied that that the messiah was going to come through the line of abraham he'd be abraham's seed and through abraham's seed all the nations of the world would be blessed he would come through the tribe of judah he would be born into the family of david to rule on the, the throne of david he would be born of a virgin born in bethlehem of judea uh, even Daniel lays out the time of his coming there. In Daniel chapter 9, we see prophecies of his supernatural ministry, his atoning death, especially Isaiah 53. Man, read the gospel sometime, then read Isaiah 53. And, man, what what, what a dovetail you've got. There. We read of his resurrection, where we're told that, that the Messiah was not going to have his soul see corruption. He'd not be left and shield. We have prophecies concerning the nation. There's amazing prophecies in the book of Daniel about a, a series of of Gentile empires, kingdoms that were going to have a connection with the nation of Israel. Starts with Babylon, goes through Media-Persia, it goes through Greece, then Rome. And there's still part of that to be fulfilled when the Roman Empire one of these days is going to be revived, and the Antichrist is going to come to power through that amazing prophecy. Uh, tremendous prophecies in Daniel chapter 11. In fact, the details of the prophecies in Daniel chapter 11 about Syria and Egypt and Israel and the different rulers that were to come to place, it's so detailed, it's boring. Not really. Well, it could be. But it's amazing the detail that's given. And it goes through prophecies about the, the different com- empires and countries around Israel. What was going to happen to them? That's amazing how they're fulfilled. One prophecy for uh, for Tyre indicated that, that the, the, the ground on Tyre was going to be stripped bare, it's gonna become a place for drying fishing nets. And, and it turns out whenever the Tyre was conquered by Alexander the Great, that the the people in Tyre knew that he was coming, and so they basically moved the city out, they 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 went kind of out on an island just off the coast. And they rebuilt the city there. So when Alexander came, he's, he's not going to let anything defeat him. So what he did, he tore down the old city, completely decimated it, took all those remains, scraped the ground, threw that into the sea, made a causeway, went out and, con- and conquered the city that they built. Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight describes all that. What a book! What a book concerning the nation of Israel. Prophecies given about the, the establishment of a nation through the family of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, if you go back to the Pentateuch, it talks about blessings and cursings that God was going to put upon Israel if they did or did not follow Him, follow God. Another amazing statement God made to Abraham. He said, those nations that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, I'll curse. You go study the pages of history. And see the stance that nations took towards Israel and see what happened to them. And it's still going on today. God help us to continue to bless Israel. And as a nation, never get to the place where we're cursing Israel. God warned Israel. He said, if if you don't follow me, I'll send pestilence, I'll send you trouble. I'll even take you out of the land for a time. But I'll bring you back. If you still don't follow me, I'll take you out again. And one of these days, he's going to bring Israel back again. Great prophecies about a coming Messiah through the nation of Israel. About a coming kingdom that we're still looking forward to. The golden age of Israel. When Israel will include all the land from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. They never had all that territory yet. One day they will. When King Jesus sits on the throne. And we find also God prophesied that the stars may fall. Uh, nothing in this, the mountains may crumble, but Israel will always continue as a nation. And you know what? They have against innumerable odds. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Here's some other excitement. There's prophecies yet to be fulfilled in this book. And we look back and we see the prophecies have already been fulfilled. 300 fulfilled concerning the first coming of Jesus. If you see 300 prophecies literally fulfilled, you see God's record of keeping His Word, when you see something that hasn't quite happened yet, what's the natural inclination? My natural inclination is, if God kept His Word here, and God kept His Word here, and God fulfilled His prophecy here, and He did it here, and He did it here, these things that haven't happened yet, guess what? He's going to continue to keep His Word. And you know what His prophecies continue to say? His prophecies say, one of these days, Jesus is coming back again. Do you believe he is? I'll take that as being true. I'll believe what God has said about Jesus coming back again, and i look forward to it. I'll even make that my blessed hope. What a great thing that is. Jesus, also, the Bible also has some other things. It talks about something that's in store for you and me. You got one or two things in store for you, and you leave this world. Hopefully, heaven. Hopefully, you've come to the place where you're repentant of your sin. You've taken Christ to be your own personal Lord and Savior. And you're headed for heaven when you leave this world. By, by the way, there is a prophecy connected with this. In, in the book of Hebrews, it says, It's appointed unto man, what? Wants to die. In fact, I'll even make that prophecy this morning. If Jesus tarries, you're all going to die. And so am I. The big thing is, what What about after death? Well, the Bible says, if you know Christ, you got heaven to look forward to. Isn't that great? To be after in the body for the believer is to be present with the Lord. If you don't know Christ, you reject Christ. The Bible also talks about a place called the Lake of Fire, it talks about an eternal hell, where there is no hope, utter darkness, separation from God, for all of eternity. Now these are prophecies for which we need to be prepared. We need to be believing the Bible. Anchor's the biggie. We need to be responding to its gospel message as far as applying it to our own lives and also taking that message to other people as well. Letting them know there is a hope. There's hope for something beyond this world. There's hope for your future. There's hope for your eternity. But it's all wrapped up in knowing the Lord Jesus as Savior. If you've never trusted Him. You need to do that. That's the message we all need to consider here this morning for ourselves. And the message we need to be faithfully carrying out to everybody around us that God brings across path. Heavenly Father, thank you for these ancient words that are ever true. Lord, we thank you for the good reason we have for believing in the scriptures. We, we believe it by faith. Lord, faith doesn't mean that there isn't a whole lot of evidence upon which we can base our faith. Lord, help these truths that we've looked at this morning to be an encouragement to us and believing your word and applying it to our lives and obeying it. And the words we look at in the future, the truths we look at, in the future, help them to encourage us as well. Lord, if there's anybody with us today that doesn't know Christ, I pray they'd respond to these words of life and take Christ to be their Savior this morning. Help us to commit ourselves, Lord, to taking the, also taking this true message, this wonderful truth from this wonderful book, and sharing them with other people. Thank you, God.